you have your Bibles, I would like to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. When I was having dinner with Brother Jerry Hunt Sr. the other day, he said something to me that's kind of stuck in the back of my head. And he said, part of our job is to deliver that good news from a far country. He said, and when you're doing that, you better make sure you keep telling folks about that far country or they're liable just to stop coming. Because <laughs> if all you're going to hear about is how you fall short and you need to do better and everything's focused on the here and now, you're liable to get discouraged. You're liable to lose focus about where it is we're really going. Um, and so, uh, those weren't exactly his words, but the idea of that, that that's the far country that we're, we're hearing news from, and we need to be reminded of that far country. And so, what's on my mind this morning is heaven. Heaven is real. And heaven is our home. And this ain't it. The house I stay in over there. That ain't my home. This building here, this ain't my home. This whole globe, this sin-cursed creation, is not my home. Okay? So heaven is real, and that's our home. So that's what we want to try to think about this morning. Now, can I describe and answer every question you have about heaven? Nope. Lord didn't give us all the answers. Can I tell exactly what is literal and what is symbolic? I, nope. <laughs> but I'm going to look at what he's given us. And may we glorify him and glean a little bit and have just a little bit better appreciation. Because whatever is there is infinitely better than you can imagine. It's going to be far better than I can try to describe. Okay? But I want to start in Hebrews chapter 11 and I want to start with verse 1. Okay? Faith. Verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've heard preachers preach on this so many times, and it never really got into my skull. <laughs> like, what does it mean? You can read that verse over and over again, and you feel like, I still have no idea what that means. Try and use some, some synonyms in here to see if we can't get to the ideas. We understand what faith is. Kind of. Give you, I'll give you a hint. If you have faith, you did not produce that. That is a gift given by the almighty God of the creation. That when he gave you new life through his Holy Spirit, he gave you a gift of faith. Okay? That came from him. Faith is the substance. All right? Substance. Synonyms there it could be support. Um, it could be the assurance. Um, it's, I want to say it's tangible, but faith isn't tangible. Tangible is something you can hold in your hand, right? But faith is real, and it's something that you can feel when you can't necessarily just feel hope by itself. Hope is something that you, you expect, you long for, you anticipate with pleasure. So we hope that our home is in heaven, right? We want that. That sounds really nice. We hope that Christ is coming back, right? We anticipate that with pleasure. How do we know that is so? Faith. The faith that we're given is how you can know such things are so. It's more than just a, a wish. I wish the war that's going on right now between Russia and Ukraine would stop. I don't know if it will or not. I don't have anything to answer that. I hope my Lord is coming back. And guess what? I know He's coming back by the faith that He's given, given me. Right? So what, what assurances do you have that something is going to come to pass? That's the faith. That's the assurance. That's the support. I have faith. A gift given from God. All right? Later in this, I mean, this, this whole chapter is dealing with heroes of faith, right? 
They're given faith, and then they do something, right? You know, Enoch, he was translated, right? This was his testimony. He pleased God. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must what? Believe that he is. Who's the he? God. You're coming to God. You must believe that God is, that God exists. How do you do that? By the faith that he's given you. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Guess what? Heaven is not your reward. Heaven is an inheritance given to you by no deed or anything of your own. But he can give you a multitude of rewards here in this life. And they may not be in the form of dollar bills. Right? Most likely they won't be. Because that's more of a snare to you. More often than not, you get a lot of dollars and you start getting into trouble with them. Right? But there are blessings that he will bestow in your faithful service. Some of it's just a peace. There is a real peace in obedience of laying down the things that my body, my carnal self, my natural self says, I want to do this, and I know that it's wrong. Laying that down, there is a peace. That's a blessing. That's a reward for faithfully serving it. And it's not just casually seeking him, right? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, right? We got Noah, moved by faith, built the ark. But I want to jump down to verse 8. And I just want to look at Abraham. We know Abraham, right? Abraham is the one who was called out of Syria. I mean, he was literally in like the, the origins of the Babylon, right? That's where he was pulled out from, right? Can you imagine if he just said, no, I'll stay here. I'm content. My family's here. My tents are here. My flocks are here. Right? No, we can't imagine that because God told him to go and he went. Just like when he calls us out of darkness and into life. We have a new desire to serve him. But that's where he was. He was over basically in what would become Babylon. By faith, when he called him to go out from the place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Okay? He was called out. And what did he do? He obeyed. By faith, he obeyed. Did he have full knowledge of where he was going to go? No. In fact, he said he didn't know. But the Lord is leading him. Sometimes when he uses that expression, I'm going to step out on faith, we kind of get the image that it's a cliff, right? <laughs> it's not. It's more like a fog bank. It's just taking that next step. It's not that you're going to suddenly plummet to your death. It's just you don't know the end result. The Lord's got the picture. He's got it all the way to the end. Right? But for us, it's, what am I doing that will please him most? Let me take that next step towards him. And then the next. Okay? So that's what Abraham did. He was called out of his home country. He obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac, Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Right? This is strange, right? You come out of your country, I'm going to give you a land. It's going to be all yours and for your inheritance forever. But the whole time he's alive, he's living in what kind of structures? Tents. Boys, y'all slept out in a tent, kind of, the other night, right? Did you stay there very long? No? Things got stressful and we came inside. Right. But you did pick it up. Thank you for picking up the tent. Um, tents are not you know, known as permanent structures, but if you're given an inheritance, you'd expect them to build what? Big old permanent cities, right? Things that don't move. It's the image of Abraham that points to you and I in this world. We've been given an inheritance. It's not this world. We're here. We're just passing through. We're living in tents. We're not putting down, you know, putting down those foundations in this world where we're going to stay here and camp out and this is it. We're just kind of camping. We're in that wilderness period waiting until we get to the real promised land. All right? Four. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. Four. He looked for a city. City. Very different than a tent, right? Cities are permanent, stationary, right? He looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. So designed by God, made by God, there's no human hand involved in it. He's looking for a city that is infinitely better than anything here. That's what Abraham was looking for. Right? 
He goes on to talk about his wife. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. She was 90 years old and gave birth to a son. Right? And then she had to deal with a toddler. Right? Sometimes you just think about that birthing process. Then she had to start, you know, her tenure of raising a kid. And she's, right? She was given, that's a miracle, multiple miracles, right? Through faith she received strength to conceive and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. That's a real good definition for faith, right? What am I believing in? I'm believing God is, right? And I'm believing that the man, the creator of all the world who made all these precious promises to us, that he's faithful. Not because I'm faithful and that I'm worthy of deserving any of them. Hint, we're not. But in spite of that, he still gave them and he's faithful and therefore you can trust him to deliver them in his good time. All right? Sometimes we get faith overly complicated. Lord, help my faith. Right? And that makes me feel like I should have a more emotional impact or something when really what we're saying is, Lord, help me to trust you more. Help me to believe what you're saying. Right? How often when we ask him for faith do we start kind of focusing inward on us? That's the wrong way to go. We've got to start looking more at him. Right? Not that I'm trying to figure out all the answers, but what would please him? What will serve him? Right? What is best in his sight? Right? What has he promised me that I can rest assured in? That regardless of the trials and adversity we're going through, those promises stand. Right? Okay? She judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even one, that's Isaac, and uh, from even one, that's Abraham, even him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and from the sand of the sea, which is by the seashore. So this massive nation appeared, which is exactly what God promised them, but he promised them to two old people who neither of them could have kids naturally anymore, and from them you had this massive, massive multitude. If you were going to start a new nation, is that who you choose for your founders? Let's go over to the retirement center, right, and pick two folks who can, I mean, no. But this is God, right, because God's going to demonstrate his power and his glory, right? That's, why, that's often why he chooses weak vessels like us, right? Because we can't say, look what I did, because we know how weak we are. And we get in trouble when we start, you know, losing that perspective. Oh, I'm pretty good. No. Chucklehead. He's doing it. Right? So he chooses weak vessels on purpose so that he can get glory. All right? These all died in faith. So Abraham, his son Isaac, and Jacob mentioned all their These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Right? What was the promise? The promise was that land was going to be theirs. And eventually it would be naturally theirs, but it was going to be several hundred years later. But they died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them they were convinced of them they had faith in them they had confidence in them and embraced them and confessed what that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country they seek a country and truly if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out they might have had opportunity to return but now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. He's prepared that permanent abode, that place that's not made by hands. That wonderful country, that's what they were looking towards. Right. So he had made promises to them, and naturally they died before natural Israel received them. Y'all, he's given promises to us. Naturally, unless he comes back beforehand, we're going to die before we receive that precious promise. That promise is a being with him in glory, in heaven. Right? A heavenly city, a heavenly country. All right? So, foundations. Right? That's strike. I've got that underlined in verse 10. He looked for a city who hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. All right, so what are we talking about here? Are we, are we talking about heaven here? Are we talking about the church? Because, I mean, over in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, we get some language that, that mentions foundations, right? You remember that? Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 19. 
concept is how the, the Gentiles have been pulled in to the family of God. We now have access to the Father by one Spirit. Verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. You're in that family. And you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, I don't think this is referring to heaven. I think this is referring to right now. This is referring to the, the New Testament church, how we have been pulled together from people that were apart that had nothing in common naturally. Right? You had the Jews who were chosen and had all these precious promises, and you had the Gentiles who had none of them. Right? And now they have been knit together by the completed work of Jesus Christ. They have the foundation of the Old Testament, the prophets. It's been built upon that by the revealing word through the apostles that Jesus Christ is the, he's the, the cornerstone. Everything builds off him. Right? And now we are a holy temple built together, knit together, that's what we're doing here together. We are being the temple of God. And the temple is He's the Holy Spirit's dwelling within us individually. And together, we are worshiping Him as His church. All right? So I don't think that's what's being referenced over in Hebrews. I don't think those are the foundations that we're talking about. All right. So I want to look at I want to look at a couple of those spots in Hebrews that talk about this 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 uh, this city. Hebrews. Um, let's go to chapter twelve. Go back to 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're getting a comparison here. We're getting a comparison of the Old Testament law with the description of when God came down and gave the law. Um, Very terrifying scene, mind you. Um, There was boundaries that were put off all around Mount Sinai. They said, don't go any closer. If you do, you're going to be run through with a dart or a spear. You're going to be killed. Whether you're an animal or a person, you go too close. (laughs) And they're seeing this fire and thunder coming down from heaven, and they hear the voice of God, at least initially, and they were so petrified from it, they said, if we hear any more, we're going to die. Moses, you go talk to him. Right? That's Mount Sinai. That's the image that's being given in verse 18. It says, for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor with blackness and the darkness and the tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voices of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. So this is a very scary scene, right? For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with the dart. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceeding fear and quake. That's not where we're coming to now, right? Verse 22, it says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Innumerable. That's where we get the word myriad. right? Just can't even count them. Innumerable. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Right? The general assembly, that's the, that's, the, that's the mass meeting of the church. The mass meeting, the church is the called out assembly, so... All are gotten together, the firstborn, which are written in heaven. That's referring to the Lamb's book of life, where he wrote every single one of his children before the foundation of the world. He wrote their names in the Lamb's book of life. So all those who are going to be there are those who are written. And to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel. Uh, Abel. All right. So you've got this, this allusion to a city. The city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem. And those who are there are going to be those whose names are written in heaven. This is the general assembly. This is the church of the firstborn. This is going to be all the local assemblies when they're all together in heaven. That's that's what we're looking forward to. That's the city that we want. That's the abiding one, the one that does not have foundations written by men. We see this again over in chapter 13. In verse 14, it says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. That continuing, we, we seek a city that will abide, that will remain. All things are going to pass away, right? This creation, like a vesture, is going to be folded up and put away. But there are going to be some things that abide. And that will be what Christ has prepared for us, right? That new heaven and a new earth. Okay. 
See if there's any other nuggets I've passed over. Here's a nugget. We seek a better country. You know what that word country comes from? The Greek word, I don't even try to pronounce it, but it translates to fatherland. They have an association with that with World War II and the Fuhrer, they talked about the fatherland. The father's land. That's the land that you want to go to. Not this land, but the land where the father is. That's the country that I want to be. My father's land. Oh, that's the heavenly home that I'm looking for, that I'm seeking. And to seek is to crave, to inquire after, to search for. I'm mindful of it, right? I don't want to look back, right? We have an admonition about remembering Lot's wife. She was looking back at the sin and corruption and vices that were so abundant in the cities that were going to be destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Abraham could have looked back. Right? And if he had been mindful of it, he would have had opportunities to go home. Right? There was no place for my son to have a, a wife here. He could have gone home and found a wife for her and, and may not have come back. He sent a servant. You know, he said, he said, don't you dare take my son. If I die beforehand, don't you take my son back there. Right? If you can't get one to come with you, you're quit of this oath. But he was not mindful about looking for ways to go back. He was looking for that better country. Right? A better country. It says that he's prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed. They desire a better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. What does that remind you of? Reminds you of me, of John chapter 14. When Jesus is getting ready to depart, right? he's giving them some of their final Final words, let not your heart be troubled, verse 14, 1 through 3. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Don't get so hung up on that word, it means abodes, residence. It's not mean you're going to have, you know, 19 room and so many bathrooms. Guess what, you won't care, right? What are you going to need all that space for anyway? But there is a place, there is an abode, there is a permanent spot prepared for you and you and you and every single one of God's children. I have told, uh, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Your Lord went to prepare a place for you. And not only that, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am ye may be also. What's the greatest feature about heaven? God's there! And He wants you there! And He's going to make sure that you are there. And He's going to come back to get you. This is exciting stuff! Yes! Alright. Let's go to Revelation. Alright, you say, oh, Revelation, that's a little scary. Y'all... We have wonderful sound doctrine that makes Revelation not scary in the least. Can I tell you, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, this is going to happen? No. Not yet. Maybe the Lord will get me there. But I can tell you all the things that we believe to be true, that every single one of God's children are going to end up with Him, however the rest shakes out. He's got it. And he's got you. This is not an opportunity for you to suddenly have a second change of heart. Your change of heart doesn't matter unless it came from him anyway. And so there's been a lot of misteachings about this book because of sorry doctrine. Right? And they reinforce their sorry doctrine. With, and it's easy to take prophecy that is hard to be understood and twist it to whatever you want it to say. Okay? So that's my little caveat that do I have all the answers? No. But can I read to you? Give attendance to reading, right? What Scripture has said, I sure can. So that's what I want to do. This is you know, written by the Apostle John. One of the last things that he records after seeing a whole bunch of other things that have come place. The exact chronology of how those things will shake out, I don't know. Right? Some of them seem to point to things that have already occurred. Um, so again, but these are the descriptions. And, and God, God said in the first chapter that you know, we're blessed if you read it. So don't be scared of reading Revelation. Don't get lifted up in pride and be able to walk around and say, I know exactly what it is, right? That's when we're going to get humbling too, (laughs) right? 
But blessed is he that reads and that hear these words of the proper prophecy and keep them, the things that are written. So it's, it's fine, fine to read. So we'll, we'll go back up to 20 just to get you context of what has just happened. We've got, I saw the great white throne, verse 11, and him that sat on it from whom's face the earth and heaven fled away and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell were delivered up, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. Okay, so this is the final judgment scene. Right? Final judgment scene. And death and hell were cast into a lake of fire. So there is a spot where it's described as hell right now. And it itself is going to be cast into a lake of fire. And I look up the, the word lake, and it says it's, it's like a pond for the nearness of shore, which to me is kind of indicative of how terrifying and awful it will be to be in the midst of a lake consumed by fire and sulfur. And it seems like shore will be right there, but there's no escape for eternity. That's where Satan's cast. That's where, that's where everything other than God's children and his angels are going to end up. Righteously so. It's the judgment. He is the righteous judge. And everyone for whom Christ did not elect die on the cross for, that's where they will get their righteous meat, fit, desserts. All right? So after that, John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. We talked about that the other day, just as an aside about how when God started creation, right, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, right? Genesis 1-2. So it starts with this ocean, this volatility, this change, and things go terribly bad after sin, and how does he hit the reset button? He sends it all back to water, right? Kills everybody in the flood other than those who are the eight on the ark, rebuilds it. And now, once sin and death have all been passed away, Satan has been taken care of, and the rejection of all the wicked and ungodly who are no longer there, there's no more sea. There's no more volatility. There's no more change. I mean, even false prophets are described as being uh, waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Right? It's a constant. It's a perfect peace. There'll be no sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of the heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. All right? this, is a, this, is, this is a beautiful picture here. Seen, now, I'm going to jump ahead and give us just scale for a minute. You go down to verse 16. It says, The city lieth four square, the length as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Okay? Y'all use furlongs very often? I sure don't. Apparently it's equivalent to a Greek unit called a stadium, 606.75 feet. 600 feet per furlong. All right, let's do some math. All right, you multiply that out by 12,000, and you do some dividing, because that's a really big number, and it's not going to help us. Divide it into miles. We're talking about 1,380 miles. A city that's 1,380 miles long. Hard for me and you to really wrap our head about how long that is. Get in the car from here, drive to El Paso. That's about 1,380 miles. Get in that car and then go north about 300 miles into Canada. That's 1,380 miles. That's the description of the scale of the city that John has seen descended down, prepared as a bride for her husband. That's a big old city, right? That's like two-thirds of Australia. Okay. All right. Go back and read a little bit more. A city prepared to provide. And I heard a great voice of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. There's not going to be any separation. He is going to dwell with them because there's no wickedness. Everything, he has prepared his bride, pure, holy, without spot or blemish, 
so that they can abide with him. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Those are all the product of sin. You have sorrow in this life. You have misery. You have pain. You have corruption within your body. Things fall apart and don't work. That's all the product of sin. You have people who don't treat you right. That's the product of sin. You don't treat people right. That's a product of sin. All those things have passed away in this heavenly country. That's what we're looking to. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Now, this is not red letters in my Bible, and I'm not sure why. But he's sitting on the throne, and he said, he's about to call himself Alpha and Omega. So this is God talking. He said unto them, Write these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. All right, this is the end, beginning to end of the Greek alphabet. I am all the way to the beginning, all the way to the end. That's God. I will give unto him that is a thirst the fountain of water of the life freely. Fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh, to overcometh is to conquer, to have victory. Christ has given us the victory, right? He that overcometh shall inherit all things. The whole thing is prepared for them, right? You don't just get your one little room. If you divide that square footage in that big space by all the people who've ever lived, and that's estimated to like 17 billion, you know, tons of grains of salt with that number, that would still be enough square footage for everyone to have 3,000 square feet. Right? That's bigger than the house. But obviously not everyone is going to be there because God didn't choose everybody. And we don't know how long this is going to go. But the point being is that you don't get just a little little chunk of heaven that's not reserved for you. He has prepared the whole thing. That's the inheritance. uh, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The son of God. Y'all ever really stop and just think about that? The Son of God. The daughters of God. I have no words to make that resonate as boldly and as loudly as that should in our heads and hearts. Anybody here feel worthy to be the Son of God? No! And yet He still chose you. And it's paid for you. Randy and I were talking this morning about Leviticus. There's a lot of blood in there. Do we understand exactly what it all means? Do we know it points to Christ? Yes. Do we know exactly what it means? No. But we do understand that the Lord is teaching them that without blood, there was not going to be a remission of sin. There was a price that was going to be paid, and it's a very, 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 very high price. And did you have to pay it? No. Christ volunteered to pay it for you. So that God is not ashamed to call you his sons and for you to call him your God. But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, they shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels that had the seven vials full of seven last plagues and talked to me and said, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. All right, so this angel is going to carry him somewhere else. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. Okay? How great and how high? I don't know exactly. Down there in the city, it talked about the length and breadth and height being equal. That mountain could be 1,300 miles high. Now, that's hard for us to wrap our head around. The ocean only goes down about seven miles. And once you hit to about 69 miles, you hit space under our current understanding. So this is a great high mountain. But old things have passed away. We're not doing it based on our current standards. This is the new creation that God has decided. This is going to be the final place where it all culminates to for eternity. So it's kind of uh, hard to measure that against what we see here. right? So it carries to a great and high mountain showed me that great city, that holy Jerusalem. Not the Jerusalem that's here. Right? 
but the holy Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the one that is hallowed, that, you know, Jerusalem means founded peaceful. This is where true peace exists. It's not in this world. It will never be in the capital over there in Jerusalem as long as this world exists because there's still going to be people in it and there's still going to be sinners. But this is where true peace is found. Holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of... All right, so we're describing the city. Having the glory of God. I don't know how a city has the glory of God, but this one does. That seeing it, the Apostle John could see this city, massive city, like Australia coming down, right? And it's got the glory of God. And there's a light of it, a light and an illumination, a brightness like unto stone most precious, all right? Even a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So some of the descriptions we're going to get here are going to link back to the Old Testament, you know, like the, the um, high priest's garments. We're going to have the stones described in just a minute. All those things in the Old Testament says these things are for glory and for beauty, right? God is able to glorify his creation, and here he's going to glorify it so perfectly. We can't even really imagine what these look like, right? And even if we could, exactly as it's written, imagine it, it's going to be better than that, right? Because words can't really capture how great our God is, right? He's better than any words can describe, and his inheritance that he's prepared for us is better than anything that we can describe, all right? So it's got this glory of God. It's got a light that's most precious, like a stone, most precious, a gem, even like a jasper stone. Jaspers come in many colors, in case you're curious. I was curious what jasper looked like, but it's got a gamut of it, so there's no help there. Clear as crystal. And it had a great wall, a wall, great and high. You know, down in uh, verse 17, it says that wall is 144 cubits. You know, cubit, if it's 18 inches, that's about 216 feet. That's a pretty big wall, right? That's like a 20-story building. Surrounding two-thirds of Australia. Okay? Two-thirds. Yeah. Big chunk, right? Here to El Paso. Big, 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 big wall. Right? And 12 gates. You know, before I did that measurement, I was like, why does it need 12 gates? Well, if you spaced them out evenly, I don't doesn't say where they're spaced, but if you started at a corner and spaced it evenly across, it'd be about 350 miles in between each one. Right? It might, might be useful to have more than one gate. Well, there's 12 gates, right? And they're, they're named for the 12 tribes of Israel. you got three gates on each side, three and three and three and three, right? And there's going to be an angel posted at each gate. You know, the cartoons will have old Peter. At the, it doesn't say anything about Peter posting up at the gate, but so you've got 12 angels, right? 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. All right, we've got the three on each side. And the wall of the city has 12 foundations. Notice it doesn't say the city's foundation has 12. It says the wall. The wall has 12 foundations, and in them were the names of the 12 apostles. And then he gives the, the measurements there. He took a golden reed, and he measured it, and he clarifies this is according to the measure of a man, um, even though it was an angel who did the measuring. And the building of the wall. All right, so we're looking at the substance of the wall in our mind's eye. Again, it's described as, as jasper. Right, so a precious gem. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. So there's no impurities here. None whatsoever. There's no spot. There's no blemish. There's not a single bit of ore or mica or whatever else it can you know, get into gold that you've got to melt it out. Right? A lot of our trials here is having our faith being tested and purified and having the, the scum that's within us kind of bubble up to the top and the Lord will scrape it off. Right? There's none there. None whatsoever. It's perfect. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished or decorated with all manner of precious stones. All right, so you've got this massive wall, massively long, really beyond your kind of imagination, here to El Paso, and there's a foundation. I don't know how big it is. Underneath that wall, there's 12 of them, and all along that 12, for hundreds and hundreds of miles, is you've got these precious stones put in there garnished with these precious stones. And then it gives the list of them, jasper and sapphire and caldine and emerald and sardonyx and sardis and chrysolite and beryl and topaz and chrysanthopas, I can't say it, janus and amethyst. There's a lot of overlap between those 12, you know, because the high priest, he had 12 stones on his chest. And three and three and three and three. And, and I think about nine of them, you can get a, a direct, draw on a line, connect them. 
Some of the names, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what they are. Um, but anyway, you've got this imagery of the glory and beauty that he has prepared for this place. That he's prepared for you. And this is just the wall. You're not even inside yet. And oh yeah, those, those gates, they're made out of pearl. You know how many pearl? One per gate. That's a big old pearl. Right? You got a gate, and again, there's only three on each side, and the side's 13-something hundred miles long. It's going to be a pretty big gate, right? One pearl. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's what verse 21 says. Twelve gates are twelve pearls. Every gate, every several gate was one pearl. And the streets of the city were pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. All these things that today are, one, hard to find, rare, we count them as special, they're of high value to us here. It's such abundance. You won't even care, right? Gold, the streets are paved with gold. Okay, it's now the equivalent of concrete. It has no value. There's so much of it because there's something so much far infinitely better there, right? You don't come to see how pretty heaven is. You'll probably be impressed. But in comparison to the glory and the gratitude and the love that when you see your Savior with your own eyes, whoo, you won't care about the decorations. Right? We sing that song um, about the bride when she sees her husband doesn't care about her garments. She doesn't care about all her decorations. She cares about seeing her husband's face, her dear bridegroom's face. That's what it's talking about. It's not the trappings of heaven that make it so great. Now, does this sound wonderful? Yes. Does it sound amazing? Yes. But Christ is that much more amazing. Okay? Much more amazing. And 22, I saw no temple therein. Now, this is interesting because earlier in Revelation, when you've got various scenes going on, it's describing the temple that's in heaven and how there's an ark there and thundering and lightnings are coming out and all the scary things, right? All those events that the Lord is putting to wrap up his creation as he's passing away, there's a temple there. When you get to this spot, there's no temple. All that has passed away, and God is there dwelling with men. I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Right? The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, for to light shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Jesus, when he came, was described as being the light. He was a light that was shining in darkness. When he went to the Gentiles over in Tyre and Sidon, they were, they were blessed because they saw a light. Right? Today, we're living in a time where we can't see it perfectly, right? We can't see the full picture. We've got these promises, but we're seeing them afar off. And that faith that God gives us, it's like having a flashlight, right? You can see some, but that light only goes so far. And those areas where it doesn't, things are kind of shadowy, right? Chris likes hunting, right? Come dusk, how many tree branches suddenly turn into racks, Right? A lot, right? Patrick knows. Those things that we can't see, we start, you know, kind of imagining. They start, man, that's the big buck over there. I just, it just had a little bit more light. I could see it clearly, right? And our, our imagination kind of goes, goes, goes wild, right? Yeah. But at this point, that veil, that limited sight that we have, that flashlight that never goes quite far enough. We got a big yard out here. You ever try to see some? far end over there by the pond. You can see those little eyes, but you don't know exactly what that joker is. Right? You wish that light was a little bit brighter. But when that sun comes up, you can see clearly. That's the difference between where we're at right now. We've just got little glimpses, little glimpses of heaven. That Holy Spirit, that's, that's like the down payment of your inheritance, that you get to enjoy that here and now. But it's just such a small amount in comparison to when that sun comes up and you can see it perfectly. Right? There's no other sins, no other shadows. There's no wonderings. Is that what it's going to be? Or is that what it's going to be? It's 
seeing it as it is. That's what we're looking forward to. There's no sun or moon there for the glory of the light. Glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them that which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of earth do bring their glory and honor into it. You know who that's talking about? You. Right? He's made you kings and priests. And the gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night. Why do we have night? We need to rest, right? Part of God's creation is that He created a time when your weak bodies need time to recharge. Right? There's no need there. There's no need. You won't be tired. You won't lack anything. There's no need for these gates to ever be shut. Why? Because there's no enemy anymore. You have gates and you close them because they're an enemy you're worried about. There's no one anymore left. Everyone else who's not there has already been cast into a lake of fire. It is a perfect peace. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise, there's not a chance, there in no wise shall enter into it anything that defileth, nor whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So everyone that's written will be there. No one that's not will be able to sneak in. And no one that's there will ever engage in anything that defiles, or is an abomination, or even, even lies. We'll have that sin nature finally removed from us. Y'all, that's going to be glorious. We can't worship and serve God perfectly today because of that. But we will be able to there. All right, we get just a few more verses of description. 22, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. So in my mind's eye, I'm trying to visualize this. You've got a street, um, the tree of life, and then the river. Um, and I may not have that exactly right. There's a lot of folks who argue about it. But either way, you've got this street, you've got the river, and there's the tree of life there. All right? This is the same tree of life that's referenced all the way back in the garden, like in the you know, paradise, right? They were allowed to eat of anything except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and when they disobeyed, they were cast out. They did not eat of the tree of life anymore. They didn't have the right to. Here it describes, it says it bears 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. Now, Brother Will, you tell me, does that mean it bears 12 different kinds every month, or does it bear one kind every month for the whole year? I'm not exactly sure. Old Brother Dr. Gill thinks it's all 12 every month. I was kind of thinking it would be one each different month. But if nothing else, it tells you there's going to be some method of time in heaven. Right? It's going to go on perfectly, but it says that every month it's going to be occurring. All right? And there shall be no more curse. No more curse. The curse of sin, the curse within our bodies, the curse within other people, within creation itself. It's all removed. Instead of the curse, the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. That's what we want to do here. That's what we should want to do. But we'll be able to do it perfectly there. The Lamb, God, and his servants. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they shall need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That sounds pretty wonderful. This is the little glimpse that we've got about a heavenly home. I don't know about you, but I don't act like in my life, I don't act like enough that this is real and that this is where I'll abide. I put too much stock in the here and the now and the worry and the care rather than keeping it in the 
heavenly perspective. This inheritance is already bought and paid for. The one who wrote the will has already died. So he's not going to change the will. It's just a matter of waiting. Waiting in patience. Right? That's why when um, Paul would write to the Thessalonian church, he, called, he wrote thanking them for their labor of love, their work of faith, and their patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he's coming back. You're patiently waiting and you're hoping. Why are you hoping? Because you've got faith to hope. Given from God that you can believe that Christ is coming back. And he's going to take you to be with him. And if you're dead before uh, he comes back, then when you die, you will be with him in paradise until this all shakes out. Again, do I have all the answers for exactly how it's going to shake out? No. But I know that God's going to do it exactly how he intends it. That all his prophecies are going to be exactly fulfilled. There won't be one overlooked. And that he will get everything that he paid for. There's no doubt. Not a scintilla, not a littlest bit, do I fear that my God will fail to do what he said he'd do. Now, if it was dependent on you and me, y'all, we'd be in trouble. We fail at doing what we say we'll do just about every time we open our mouth, right? Just about can't get the words out of our mouth before we start thinking back of, well, I've actually got this and this and this, and I really can't. No, it's not on us. It's not our faithfulness. We get to believe and trust that he is faithful and that his promises are true and that these are the promises that he's made. And this is what he's chosen to reveal about those promises. This is a good thing. This is a precious truth. This is something we can abide in in the midst of all the trials, in the midst of all the adversity. Here's another nugget for you. It may seem random, but it's not. Christ right now, he's in a role of mediator. That's not a permanent role. That's a role that he's going to be able to lay down and say, this is done. I don't have to intercede on these children's behalf anymore because they're no longer sinning. When they are all with me and we're all in glory, he doesn't have to be a mediator or a go-between anymore. There is a perfect unity. Man, that's going to be good. That's what we're looking forward to, of being perfectly united and in the presence of our great God. May we rest in these truths today. Thank you all for your time and attention.